We have been away from Jeremiah for a long time, but we are coming right back to him, this wonderful, wonderful prophet. And uh, we are going to be in Jeremiah 26 this evening. So if you can turn to Jeremiah 26, and if you uh, have a Bible, rather if you need a Bible, raise your hands, and someone will come and bring you a Bible. (laughs) Anyone need a Bible? Okay. Jeremiah 26. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful testimony that we have in this man, this example of faithfulness, Lord, and this picture that you gave us right inside a man's heart and mind. It's such a unique picture, Lord, of, of how a man of God uh, processes uh, the things uh, in his life, the, uh, the fears, the anxiety, the victory, Lord. And uh, we pray that you would just continue speaking to us Lord, as we go through this book, in Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 26 says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord, saying... Now, if you remember, uh, Josiah, rather Jeremiah, was... We've been away for... Um, a while now, just a very quick review, he started to his ministry ministry of prophesying in the reign of Josiah. Now remember, most of prophecy, at least I would say 80 to 90%, is not predictive in nature. It's not talking about the future. It's, it's speaking truth into the present times, the, the, the current events. And that's what Jeremiah spends... Uh, most of the time doing. Uh, From time to time, um, he also predicts. We'll see that uh, tonight. But uh, he begins in the reign of Josiah. Josiah, wonderful king in the life of uh, Judah. But about 10 or 15 years into his ministry, Josiah dies, and everyone after him is a rotten in terms of the kings that succeeded Josiah. A couple of his sons, Josiah's brother, uh, they were all bad news. They were jelly-spined, wishy-washy, probably unbelievers. And so um, things got really, really tough after Josiah's death. Um, One of Josiah's Uh, Actually, what we're going to do right now is I'm going to just put a chart up of some of the kings uh, in Israel. So things start off with Saul. We've been uh, speaking about Saul. Is this this working? Maybe it's not working. Um, There we go. Thanks. Saul, on Friday nights, uh, some of the men have been starting to teach about Saul and uh, after him, David, Solomon. After Solomon, there's a civil war in the kingdom our kingdoms are divided. Can you guys see this? Yeah, sure. I, that, that's totally fine. Is everyone else fine? I can move that if you want. Uh, the kingdoms are, are divided, and uh, Jeroboam goes up north, ten tribes, and what happens up here is there's complete apostasy, meaning they, 
they completely depart from the worship of Jehovah according to the Bible. They more or less make up their own religion, the same way people continue to make up religions until uh, this day. And so it starts with Jeroboam, and then it moves, uh, it, it, it moves down to, yeah, can you just go down? And then in 721 B.C. is when they're wiped out. And different prophets, Elijah and Elisha, they all, their whole ministry was to the north uh, and to uh, prophesying up there and asking them to repent. So it's not like God forgot about them. They just persisted in their um, rebellion. And every single one of these kings, there's not a single one of them who was a good king. Now on the other side, if we could just go back up, uh, so Solomon's son was Rehoboam, and then you know here's here's in Judah. This is the southern two tribes, Judah and uh, Benjamin. This was the line of the Messiah. Uh, this line of kings here: uh, Asa, wonderful king; Jehoshaphat, great king. Uh, for a while here, this woman Athaliah, she was the either the daughter, or the she was the daughter of Jezebel or the granddaughter. Uh, she takes over for um, a few years. Uh, Joash uh, comes into power, but can you just, uh, you can continue to scroll all the way. Uh, and then we come here to Josiah right here. He was the last good king, and he was a, a fabulous king. However, he came into power after this guy Manasseh had reigned for 52 years, and Manasseh was probably the worst king that... Israel, uh, rather that Judah ever ever saw. Josiah was uh, arguably the best. Not one negative thing is said about him. Although everyone, uh, David was the standard for everyone. But uh, David, of course, being a good king. Anyway, Josiah's son Jehoahaz was uh, in power for three months. The king of Egypt uh, came and uh, took him away. Jehoiakim was installed in his place. And that's where we are right now tonight, Jehoiakim. He actually reigns there for, what, 11, 12 years, something like that? Is, is, my, no, is that right? Yeah, 12, 11, 13, something like that. And, uh, and then Jehoiachin comes after him, a very brief reign as well. But then Zedekiah is sort of a puppet king for King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king who, from Babylon who came in and destroyed, uh, destroyed uh, Jerusalem. Uh, but then Zedekiah rebels. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes in again and just wipes out everything in Jerusalem, uh, burns down the temple. Actually, this was a lot better than, than I thought it would be. That worked out pretty well. I hope this is kind of helpful. It sort of gives you a perspective here of, of the different kings. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I was a history major, so I like that kind of stuff, but my kids groan and moan all the time whenever I start talking about history. But I don't know. I like it. But uh, a lot of these are history books, but that's the context of, um, of this chapter. Jeremiah begins in the reign of Josiah, uh, but soon after Josiah's death, this guy Jehoiakim comes into power. We're going to be reading later on in this chapter. He was... Uh, he, he was not a good king. I believe supremely he was just one of these kings who was, uh, couldn't stand up to the religious, the corrupt religious establishment of the time. 
Verse 2 says, thus says the Lord. So the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah. Stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. And then it goes on to say what the word is. But the Lord says, and this is the Lord's heart towards a nation, even a nation that for generations um, has been in rebellion. This is the Lord's heart. Uh, Jose taught a couple weeks ago on Nineveh. The Lord had the same heart for Nineveh. Perhaps, verse 3, everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. And you, and you shall say to them, and so this is what his message was. This is what Jer- Jeremiah's message was, that he declared in the court of the house of the Lord, in the court of the, uh, of the temple. He was just to go to the court of the temple and start uh, declaring this word. If you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up and, and early and sending them, but you have not heeded, then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth." So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. So the best kind of analogy we can have as to sort of where he was when he was teaching these things, it's sort of like someone going out into the food court out there and declaring all of this. Jesus taught as well in the temple courtyards. Um, Really, any rabbi could go into the temple court and teach the word of God. And so that's what he did. And so it's not just some person in a remote part of Jer- going to a remote part of Jerusalem, uh, getting a soapbox and standing um, on it and preaching to some people in the outer skirts of Jerusalem. This is going right to the priests and the prophets. They're all hearing it. And he, this is the word that he's giving to them. If you, verse 4, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law, which I have set before you, to heed the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you, both rising up early and sending them. They, God, his faithfulness, this is just a, a picture of the heart of the faithfulness of God. He sent them early. He, sent to, he said to his prophets, you go to Judah in the middle of their rebellion, and I want you going on time early, early in the morning so to show them that I'm serious about this. That's what happened. Uh, and he, Jeremiah is saying, you, you know, you, you haven't heeded the prophets, but if you don't turn around and actually start heeding to Jeremiah here, verse 6, then I will make this house like Shiloh and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. Now, Shiloh, those of you who have been in the Friday night Bible study should know exactly what Shiloh uh, at least was, right? Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was after, this is before the temple was ever even built. The tabernacle, which was a tent, uh, 
remember the tabernacle was established as a place of worship while the Israelites were in the wilderness and then they crossed over the Jordan and they set up shop in Shiloh and that's where the, uh, Eli was uh, the high priest there and uh, Samuel uh, grew up uh, there as well and, and uh, what happened there? Well, there was rebellion, uh, Eli's two sons. So what were their names? Hophni and Phineas were sleeping with the women in, uh, who came to give offerings. They were stealing the best pieces of the offerings. You know, you have religious leaders doing the same thing to this very day, but God judged the, um, judged the, actually, the, the, the priesthood there and he, he basically took away their lampstand. He took away the privilege they had of um, ministering before the Lord. And actually, it wasn't for a few generations that that line of priests were, were cut off. It's interesting here, as I studied this, you know, Jeremiah threatens to, it says, then I will make this house like Shiloh, well, did God really do that because Jerusalem, the temple, was restored? I really think he's uh, speaking more here about uh, the priesthood, the holy priesthood, the line of, of priests, which eventually was cut off. There are You can't go out and look for a priest who could go into the holy of holiest today anymore. You can't do that. They're, they are nowhere to be found. There may be some people who think uh, they're like that, but more or less after they went to Babylon, uh, they came back. There was still a, a line of priests there, uh, but similar to this prophecy, which took a few generations to actually go into effect, it, it, it wound up happening. That, that Eli and that line, they were wiped out, and so were this priestly line. They were wiped out permanently. Um, as well. And so this is day in and day out, these priests are hearing this. (laughs) They're hearing this about their house, their line, their descendants. Uh, And uh, I guess the thing that as someone who teaches the word of God that really stood out to me in verse 2, it says, God says to to Jeremiah, and this is just a, a solemn charge that he's giving to him. He says, stand in the court of the, go- of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to, the worship, come to worship in the, in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them do not diminish a word. So two things, all of the words and don't diminish any of them. And it's just, this is just, I take this just as a charge to my own heart to speak all the words of the Word of God. It's so easy, for example, the, the, the message that we had this morning on a demon-possessed man, and uh, the man was possessed by at least 2,000 demons. I mean, it sounds crazy to us as Americans. It doesn't sound crazy in many parts of the world. It sounds crazy to us. So such a temptation. Well, I don't want, you know, what if there's a few people in this room, you know, they'll think we're wacky if we go over this story, even though a lot of the Gospels is dedicated to that story. I'm just going to skip over it. No, all the words God tells us, but it also says, 
Do not diminish a word. Everyone would know what that word diminish means. Don't water down anything. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm just so thankful for the men and women um, just in, in, in my life since I've been a, a Christian. They didn't diminish the word of God. They didn't water it down. It, you know, just in the area of, of, of holiness, for example, of being separate, of giving responsibly, tithing, giving the first fruits. I'm so happy that that first Baptist preacher that Stephanie and I were under, man, he, the guy taught on tithing, and it was such a blessing to walk towards obedience in that area. The, but, but mostly just the, the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is a hell, and there's heaven, there's judgment, there's sin, but there's tremendous blessing seeking after the Lord. I'm so thankful for all the men and women over the years who were, they didn't diminish or water down the word of God. And that's what he tells uh, Jeremiah. He says, don't diminish a thing. And what happens? Verse 7, it says, so the priests and the prophets and all the people, because remember, Three times a year, at least, all the people um, would come from all over, actually, in, in some respects, over the world, to come to, to uh, Jerusalem to uh, begin to, 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 uh, to worship there, and they would hear uh, Jeremiah. In verse 8, it says, But now when it happened, when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, that the priests and the prophets and all the People seized him, saying, you will surely die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, this house shall be like Shiloh, and this uh, city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? See, saying, saying that the house would be like Shiloh was just, Shiloh was just an incredible insult uh, to, these, to these priests. It says, and the people were gathered against Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. Now, remember... Uh, when Jeremiah was initially charged by the Lord uh, to go out and be a, a prophet, the Lord told him, chapter 1, verse 17, prepare yourself and arise and do not be dismayed before the people's faces for behold, I'm making you into a fortified city and an iron pillar, a bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its princes, its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail. So he had been told, look, it's going to be you against everybody. And that's really the unique thing about this ministry of Jeremiah. And that's why it's such an encouragement. Uh, studying this, this, the life of Jeremiah here today in 2012, Verse uh, 10, when the princes of Judah heard these things, so in verse 9, verse 8 and 9, the prophets and the priests were the ones that seize him, and they're the ones that are rebuking him. It's the religious establishment. Who did Jesus spend most of his time rebuking? The religious establishment. Uh, You know, the Bible says, you know, be careful if you want to become a teacher. They're subject to a greater judgment. I mean, because if you take advantage of that position, oh man, is God going to have some business to do with you? 
they're the ones that basically are rebuking him and challenging him, and they, they're the ones that had seized him. In verse 10, it says, The princes of Judah heard these things. They came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat down um, in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. So here you have the secular, so, so for more or less secular uh, leaders uh, of, the, of the country. And it says in verse 11, And the priests and the prophets spoke to the princes and all the people, saying, This man deserves to die, for he has prophesied against the city, as you have heard with your ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city with all the words that you have heard. So now he's got all these judges around him and these princes, these rulers, and he doesn't back off one bit. This is an encouragement to me reading this. Verse 13, now therefore amend your ways, change your ways and your doings. Obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that he has pronounced against you. As for me, here I am in your hand. Do with me as it seems good and proper to you. But know for certain that if you put me to death, you will surely bring innocent blood on yourselves on this city and on its inhabitants. For truly the Lord has sent me to you to speak all these words in your hearing. Verse 16, so the princes and all the people said to the priests and prophets, this man does not deserve to die, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Then certain of the elders of the land rose up and spoke to all the assembly of the people, saying, Micah of Moresheth, this is the Micah who we're going to get to eventually on Sunday night. Um, he's a prophet. Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king, king of Judah, and spoke to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruin, and the mountains of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah ever put him to death? Did he, he, did he not fear the Lord and seek the Lord's favor? And the Lord relented concerning the doom he pronounced against them. But we are doing great evil against ourselves. And so just like with Jonah, who said, was it 30 or 40 days? 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Same thing Micah said. He said, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Now, don't ask me. Uh, the, 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 the age-old question, wait, the Lord said it. Did the Lord change his mind? I can't answer those questions. I hope you asked Jose them after his uh, sermon a few weeks ago. But I do know that Nineveh was, Nineveh was eventually destroyed. So was Jerusalem here. But in the time of Hezekiah, Micah said, Zion shall be plowed like a field. Now it was. The entire countryside around uh, Jerusalem was plowed like a field. But Jerusalem... God relented. It did not become a heap of ruins. Again, it did eventually, but um, not then. God relented. And these people said, look, Hezekiah was a good king. And just because someone came uh, along and said the city was going to be uh, wiped out, that wasn't a reason to put the guy to death. Let's remember Hezekiah. Now, I think this is pathetic. This whole scene is utterly pathetic. You have the secular rulers of the country coming up 
and rebuking the religious establishment about something that's religious. They're supposed to be the ones that can hear the voice of God. And that here you have the secular rulers coming to them and saying, you guys, are, you guys don't know what you're talking about. We're hearing the voice of the Lord here. Can you not hear it? I tell you, your country has come to a pretty low place when that is happening. But that is a picture of how bad things have gotten during this time. Verse 20, uh, this is the writer, this is Jeremiah picking up here as he's writing this book. Now there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Urijah, the son of Shemaiah of Kerjath, Jerem, who prophesied against this city and against this land and according to all the words of Jeremiah. And so someone had come in and, and was basically supporting everything Jeremiah said. This guy, we don't know much about him. His name is Urijah. Verse 21, and when Jehoiakim the king with all his mighty men and all the princes heard his words, the king sought to to put him to death, but when Urijah heard it, he was afraid and he fled and went to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim the king sent men to Egypt, Elnathan the son of Achor, the other men who went with him to Egypt, and they kidnapped the guy. Verse 23, and they brought Urijah from Egypt and brought him to Jehoiakim the king who killed him with a sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of... But then verse 24 says, nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that they should not give him into the hand of the people to put him to death. And so what happened, what's going on in these verses, verse 20 through 23, is apparently after this time where the princes of the land rebuked the priests and said, back off this guy, another guy had come. Jehoiakim found out about him and had him put to death. And really, I believe, particularly if you look at these last few kings of Israel, the guys were, and we'll see this about Zedekiah as well, the last king, these guys were back and forth. If they were alone speaking to Jeremiah, they were like, no, really, really, I believe everything you're saying. But as soon as they got in front of the, the prophets, the priests, and, and, and the, the corrupt, wicked uh, rulers of their day, they, they caved into him. And I just believe Jehoiakim just caved in to the religious establishment of the time. And this guy, this other prophet, winds up being killed. But nevertheless, there's this guy in verse 24. His name is Ahakim. He's a son of Shaphan. He basically saved Jeremiah. Now, if you look back in the book of Second Kings, this guy is, both of these people actually, Shaphan and Ahakim are discussed. They both were officials during the reign of Josiah, and apparently they still had some influence um, at this time. There would be a come, of, uh, come a time where there was no such influence anymore in the time of Zedekiah. But still, you see here this picture of the land just disintegrating. Chapter 27. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourselves bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And so Jeremiah had to make for himself 
chains and yokes similar to the yoke that you put on an ox and he started walking around Jerusalem with them. And it says, and send them, make them, put them around your neck. And then he says, and send them to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hands of the messengers who come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are on the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it to whom it seemed proper to me. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant and the beast of the field. I have also given him to serve him. So all the nations shall, shall serve him, meaning Nebuchadnezzar and his sons and his son's son until until the time of his land comes, and then many nations and great kings shall uh, make him serve them. And it shall be that the nation and kingdom which will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and, and which will not put its neck under his, the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation I will punish, says the Lord, with sword, the famine, and pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Verse 9, therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you saying you shall not serve, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you to remove, to remove you from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. Okay, so that is a mouthful. Let me try to sort of walk you through this. Verse 1 says, in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, now, some manuscripts say Zedekiah. Some translations say Zedekiah. But apparently, what some, some people think it was a copious uh, error here that it should read in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah. But it, you know, this says in the begin, be, beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, this word came to Jer Jeremiah make for yourselves bonds and necks and put them on your neck. And, and, and it says, and send by the hand of the messengers of, the, uh, of Zedekiah, king of Judah, to these other kings. In other words, during the time of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, Jeremiah was told to give these yokes to the messengers of Zedekiah and send them out to all these other kings or send them to these, to these kings. So apparently what is going on here is that during the reign of Je uh, Je Je Jehoiakim, this word comes to, to, um, to Jeremiah and tells him to do something that's not going to happen until the future. That's one interpretation of these verses. But so what winds up happening is that during the reign of Zedekiah, can we get this, uh, Dave, can we get this thing up one more time? During the reign of, of Zedekiah, what did I do with my beamer? 
I put it somewhere here. Oh, here it is. During the reign of, 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 of Zedekiah here, he was a puppet king who, who rebelled. And, you know, he, he swore allegiance. He gave his word to Nebuchadnezzar that um, he would uh, basically obey whatever Nebuchadnezzar told him to do. There, Nebuchadnezzar originally came uh, into uh, Jerusalem uh, during the reign of Jehoiakim here, and he basically took over the city, made Jehoiakim and then Jehoiachin as well swear allegiance to him. They wound up rebelling, but when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, originally came in, oh my, oh no, here we go, <laughs> originally came in, they carried back Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, eventually they rebelled, though, and Nebuchadnezzar put this guy Zedekiah in. Zedekiah behaved himself for a few years, but, uh, but eventually Zedekiah himself rebelled, and that's where the fall of Jerusalem happened. But during the latter years of Zedekiah's reign, or throughout the years of Zedekiah's reign, actually, there were people in the land who just couldn't deal with the fact that God really did want Nebuchadnezzar to come in and basically rule over Israel. They had such a problem with it, even though it had been prophesied that because of their generations of rebellion, they were going to be exiled, the the nation was going to be exiled to Babylon, and for 70 years... The the exile would continue, and this king was going to come in. So that was all prophesied by the prophets, but they stirred up this false sense of patriotism um, amongst the people during the reign of Zedekiah and said, no, you need to rebel against this Babylonian king. And Jeremiah said, no, this is all being done as a punishment to you. The Bible says that if you're a real child of God, there's going to be chastisement, just like any father chastises or disciplines their son. You're, Ill, you're an illegitimate son if there's no discipline. But they were being disciplined by the Lord by having this, this reign of Babylon over them. And Jeremiah said, you need to submit to Babylon. You need to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, meanwhile, this guy Zedekiah, what happens is he, is he meets, he has this he meets with these other kings in verse 3, the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the Ammonites, the king of Tyre, uh, and, and the king of, of Sidon, and they, they're developing a conspiracy among themselves to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. And what this whole prophecy here is about, it's, it's the, the Lord's telling Jeremiah, no, go to all these kings and give them these yokes that you make and give them to them, kind of like a party favor, and tell them, look, you need to to submit to the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. You need to do that. And, of course, the false prophets in the land are calling them a traitor and a coward and uh, and this type of thing. But that's what this this prophecy is all about. Meanwhile, uh, Zedekiah and the other leaders of the land, in verse 9, they're listening to 
their own diviners, to false prophets, to dreamers, to soothsayers, to sorcerers, uh, who speak to you saying, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah is telling him, do not listen to these people. Because there's always going to be people who, just like the Bible says, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, who, who, who sort of, they, they, they tickle your ears with, with things that you want to hear, things that are pleasing to you, but are, are not of, uh, of the Lord. And so, okay, we can put that down again. So anyway, in verse 12, Jeremiah says, I also spoke to Zedekiah, king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people. Why will you die? You and your people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. And there's just a message that we have uh, today for us, that when, you know, sometimes the Lord does have us in a period of discipline in our life. And as a pastor, it just breaks my heart when you see people who resist that discipline and they get up from underneath it and, and they... They want sort of a quick way out to relief, and they, they, they basically they get off the potter's wheel. We saw that, uh, that already in Jeremiah as well, where Jeremiah, well, Israel is the pot, the Lord's the potter, and sometimes when the potter sticks in a thumb to, to whatever form and fashion the pot, it hurts. Don't get off the potter's wheel when you're in a season of discipline or when you're in a season of training and when you're being trained up. You know, by the Lord, don't do it. And, and he's saying the same thing to Zedekiah in verse 12. Uh, he, uh, he, he's saying in, in verse 13, rather, why do you, why are you go, you, you're going to die if you refuse this chastisement, if you refuse this discipline. You're going to wind up dying by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. Therefore, verse 14, do not listen to the word of the prophets who speak to you, saying you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. Verse 15, for I have not sent them, says, um, says the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I may drive you out and that you may perish, you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Also, I spoke to the priests. So he first he speaks to the king, and then in verse 16, uh, he speaks uh, to the priests. And he, and, and he says, I also spoke to the priests, to all this people, saying, Thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy to you. So remember, at the time, there's prophets and there's priests. And so the prophets were going in, the false prophets were going in, and they were lying to the priests who were responsible for doing the ministry uh, at the, in, the, in the temple. And he says to them in verse 16, don't listen to the words of your prophets who prophesy, prophesy to you, saying, behold, the vessels of the Lord will now shortly be brought back uh, from Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you. So that's a reference right there to the fact that in 605 B.C., when the king of Babylon came in, he took all kinds of stuff from inside the temple, vessels of the temple, and he took it back to Babylon. So you hear you have these false prophets just giving them this positive thinking sort of prophecy. Oh, in, within two years, within a couple of years uh, or shortly, um, all those things that the king of Babylon took away from the temple, they're going to be brought back to, back 
to the temple, and they're going to be restored there. And Jeremiah is saying, don't believe any of that. That's a false prophecy. Uh, verse 17, do not listen to them. Serve, the, uh, serve. He's telling him, serve the king of Babylon and live. Now, that was a hard, hard, hard thing for any Jew, particularly a Jewish priest, to hear. Serve the, Babylon, serve the king of Babylon and live. Wow. Well, the Bible is also telling us today in the year 2012, honor the president of the United States. The Bible says in Leviticus, it says, do not revile the ruler of your people. It's the same message today. Honor the president of the United States and live. And I really, really believe that. It doesn't mean you have to vote for him. But you need to honor him. You can't be calling, you can't be reviling him, like so, in so many circles in the church today. They're bringing judgment. Really, I believe this with all my heart. They're bringing judgment on themselves because God put President, President Obama, in his position of authority. We have to honor that. We need to respect that. We need to pray for him. Uh, if only the church would pray uh, half as much of the time they spend reviling him, uh, the church would be a lot better off. And and doesn't mean they have to agree with uh, some of his policy. It doesn't mean that there's not a, a time, a prophetic word for the government. But um, but to honor him, he says, do, he says, serve the king and live. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city be laid waste? But if they are prophets and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts at the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord in the house of the king of Judah and at the Jerusalem do not go to Babylon. So that was, that's a foreboding or that, that's a, a gloomy little uh, prophecy in of itself. The rest of the vessels in the temple would eventually be carried off, off to Babylon. And what Jeremiah is telling them, look, if they're really prophets, why don't you have them intercede that all these vessels, these things in the house of the Lord... Have them prophesy that they're going to stay here and they're not going to get carted off to Babylon. They would be, and we'll see that later. They would be all carried off. And so here uh, Jeremiah is, 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 is speaking to uh, the priest. Verse 19, verse, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, concerning the sea, concerning the carts, and concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in this city. What's the sea, by the way? What's the sea? Yeah, it's the big, it's the big, uh, I see all the people going like this. Like, okay, everyone, same time, just go like this. <laughs> all right, very good. Just like Azariah. Just, yeah. um, it was the, it was like a big, big pool where ceremonial washings happened. Solomon uh, made this pool and actually thousands of gallons of water, I believe, uh, could, uh, this, 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 this pool could, could, um, could hold, they call it a sea. It was made out of bronze. I'm sure incredibly valuable. And, and what he's saying here, he's saying concerning the, I'm, I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar on his first visit, he took a whole bunch of stuff from the temple. He saw that big thing. He goes, I'm not lugging that thing back. Uh, but he's saying here in verse 19, Jeremiah is saying concerning that, the sea, concerning the carts, concerning the remainder of the vessels that remain in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take when he carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from uh, Jerusalem to Babylon. 
and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Yes, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel concerning the vessels that remain in the house of the Lord and in the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord. Then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. And that would happen uh, 70 years after the exile. So I think we need to, uh, to stop there. I was going to try to do one more chapter, but uh, I guess it ain't going to be happening tonight.